Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrive, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and getting everybody in your corporation, your company, your team to see how their job, their role connects to customer perceived value. Today, I have got a kindred spirit, Daniel Hammond, uh, who has uh, his his entire thing is customer driven leadership. So he's talking to leaders about leading a corporation driven by customers. So, Daniel, welcome. Hey, thank you so much, Mark. So glad to be here. All right. So um, my listeners have heard me harp about the the, uh, value-focused culture over and over. Um, So they don't need to hear me say it again in my words. Like, I would love to hear your take on it. Yeah. Uh, So um, it's interesting. So my my partner uh, is uh, who helped me write Customer Driven Leadership is Dr. Ted Anders, and he's an organizational psychology a psychologist, and he he got uh, really disillusioned. Uh, he was working uh, training shuttle team pilots when the Challenger exploded, and he saw that uh, the customers were those people in in the shuttle, uh, his friends uh, that didn't come home, and uh, you know, had it worked the way it should have, had they had that customer focus, uh, they would have. Uh, listened more to some of the red flags that were getting thrown by the lower level people. Um, But, you know, there were metrics to meet and deadlines and uh, that, that really uh, got him to think through uh, how can an organization be more focused on uh, serving the people that it was designed to serve. And, and um, he, he created customer driven leadership in the mid nineties and uh, he and I worked together to build a nursing school in central Honduras, which let us uh, kind of see each other and our gifts and talents. And so I asked him, you know, what do you do in the corporate world? And he showed me customer driven leadership. He'd kind of retired because he said I didn't have a good partner, didn't want to go it alone. And, uh, you know, my superpower is I can break anything, uh, which is really good for finding the dysfunction in organizations. And, uh, you know, I looked at his system and I said, you know, this is really a, a self-evolving system that constantly gets you better and better and better at meeting the client where they need, to, where they are, right? And, and it's, you know, you can't treat all your customers the same. They have specific requirements. Um, and if you're listening for that, if you're asking them, hey, what's important to you? because you're important to me, uh, I think you you get, uh, you meet where, them where they are and you give them a level of service uh, that sets you apart. Cool. I, yeah, I love that. Uh, and you said you used the term, what was it, self-improving system? Yeah, uh, he, he likes to say he creates self-winding uh, organizations. So they, they're constantly, uh, you're measuring what matters. Uh, so 
let's say you have a team, let's say you have a three teams and T, team A serves team B, which serves team C, which serves the external client. Uh, what you do is team B and team A talk to each other and team B says, hey, the thing I need the most from you is this. If you can get better at this, I'll be able to do my job better. And so then they negotiate, well, how much better can, can you improve it and what options do we have? And then team A starts getting evaluated on how well they're serving team B. Team B does the same with team C, team C does the same with the external clients. And so that you're constantly measuring and every month you're collecting the metrics and looking where are we weakest so that we can all come together as an organization and work on that. So each team becomes like a little entrepreneurial shop of its own that serves the next shop in the line to, to deliver that uh, excellent customer experience. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess that's the first area where some of the rhetoric that I put in my book is a little bit different. I, I say one of the signs of a dysfunctional non-customer focused culture is that executives invent this band-aid called the internal customer. And we invent the internal customer because those teams have no contact with, no idea, no clue about the real customer. So we're going to give you an internal customer to please. And so I take a generally dim view of the internal customer because, because of that dysfunction. But it sounds like you're working your way out of that dysfunction. Yeah. So yeah, and to be fair, the first thing we start with is what's the vision of the of the comp of the company? What are we here for? What what's the organization trying to accomplish? And then the next is what are the values of the organization? So those two things are the framework for everything customer driven leadership does. So if team, you know, if team B says, you know, we need better coffee from team A, you know, you'll look at that and go, well, yeah, but that does, that's not what we do as an organization. It all has to be within the framework of, of that. And if you don't, you know, if you don't have a good vision, then you're right. It's, I look at it as, you know, you've got what we call high performing teams, right? You, you coach them up, you get them as good as they can be. And then, and then you say, well, what can they do better to improve the entire process for the customer? And of course, you know, it's like team team a is too early in the process potentially to really impact sales because maybe that's team c's job right but you know they can uh if their production you know you can't sell what you don't have in stock and all of those things so you know there are ways that they can help the whole organization uh stay uh focused on that uh, excellent customer experience yeah you know when i was a product manager at this company we were required to articulate in one sentence each for each of our products, what is the value of that? What is the differentiation? So I had the only cable that used this kind of really inexpensive termination technique that had an abrasion resistance of X using this test method. Um, it also had to be flame retardant and flexible down to X, you know, temperature rating. Mm -hmm. And when I could articulate that, you know, it's great when I can articulate to that to the customer. So customers who are making um, boxes that flew in airplanes that were vibrating for 
years and years straight, they thought, yeah, abrasion resistance is a pretty good thing to have. But going backwards, when we said, you know, I've got a new customer with this kind of an application and the, the polymers we're putting on to achieve that don't fit because of some something else, the manufacturing folks knew what the end goal was to have abrasion resistance of X and, and, and durability of Y and still be termination. And so I had um, manufacturing folks had their names on patents in my company because mm-hmm. they were the ones that had the idea. Right. And um, so that vision for the product is, you know, here's here's the product characteristics. And then we quickly turned that into um, durability and, you know, long life and you know, we used to famously say cables cheap, even though we were the most expensive by far cable. Like we said, cables cheap compared to trouble. Yeah, absolutely right. So, and, but yeah. I mean, you're you're able to make that marketing statement because I've got a super clear idea of what I'm trying to accomplish, and now I've got, I've got everybody. I've got shipping. I got packing. I got manufacturing. I got engineering. I got everybody knowing exactly what that what that has to look like. And I don't have to invent anything myself. Right. You just have to meet the needs of the customers, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, so one of, I guess um, one of the things that we're really focused on in customer-driven leadership is, you know, within a team, there's going to be a variety of talents. You know, not everybody is the best engineer, for example. Um, or, uh, you know, there are some people who can come up with a great idea, another one that can make it actually uh, you know, affordable, another one that can, you know, uh, make it stronger, better, faster, lighter. Um, and so uh, one of the things is really uh, letting everybody get comfortable with, you know, where uh, our unique, uh, our unique multiplier is, right? So. Uh, I mean, strategic coach, they call it unique ability. What, what, what is your unique ability? What's my unique ability? So that as problems come to the team, everybody knows, hey, this is a problem that, you know, Mark's going to handle way better than Daniel. And so those are opportunities where we call them high performing teams, where uh, not everybody is just the cog doing the same role, right? And, and, you know, there are things that, you know, uh, when I was doing cyber exercises for a, a you know Fortune 500 uh, top 10 bank, uh, you know there were things that I handled. I would go off and handle the you know bizarre, who knows what the heck we're trying to deliver, and and because that's what I was good at. I was good at figuring out what is what is going to really serve the customer here, and and then you know again if you're putting me on a, a job that's that's boring and there's nothing exciting about it i get really frustrated really fast so finding the right people in the right position and then the other thing is uh the the whole hierarchy of the organization is flipped upside down too so you're evaluated by the people you serve by pre-negotiated standards so everything's a hard metric so there's no like one of the problem we had was uh when our team was small there were three of us and you know, corporation gives the leader two gold stars to hand out. Well, we're all we're all standing with a stack of dragon heads behind us, and yet somebody's gonna get a yeah, you did okay, and that's not yeah. right. That's not yeah. fair. Yeah, um, so, yeah. I, I love the idea of. Um, I also love the idea of the organization that learns, changes, evaluates from the customer in. 
I went to business school so long ago that it was acceptable to say that it's management's and leadership's job to see the future, design the future in the company, design the company, roll the changes out to the company and lead from the top down. And um, I think there are, that's changing and customer driven leadership turns that on its head. Yeah, one of the things that it really does is it allows you to stay uh, more in tune with the market as it shifts. So, for example, uh, you know, an example I use is, is say you're a widget company and you've got somebody who wants a warehouse full of widgets. They want, you know, I want 200 widgets in my warehouse at all times. You know, if I ever get below 250, you know, fill me back up to 300 so I don't fall below that 200 mark. You may have another client that. Uh, they don't want any, any they don't want to have any inventory but when somebody orders a widget they want it delivered in 24 hours to that person's home or business and you may have a third customer that's like oh we don't want any standard widgets we just want we want a custom widget and we need it within a week so if you're if you're evaluating all of those customers and clients by the same metrics you you know you're not really serving you're, you're not getting good information right but yeah. now all of a sudden if the the widget warehouse guy wants hey i need i need you to fill me up to 500 or i only need 100 widgets now you have a conversation and you're you know and so be being tapped in and asking these uh you know key clients monthly what are your needs if all of a sudden seven days isn't good fast enough for the guy who who wants custom widgets you, you're starting to see things shift away from the way you're doing business and you can get ahead of that. Yeah. Um, and I, going back to your earlier point, um, when you've got to change, if you don't have strict job descriptions and you say, we're the three people who have got to get this done, how are we going to split up the work? Um, right. Um, there's a whole different dynamic. Right. Yep. Uh, I mean, and and I can I can think. You know, I, you think of it uh, if you're if your kids and you're trying to divvy up chores, right? It's like you know what? I don't want to clean the toilets. You know, I'll I'll do five other things, but don't put me on the rotation for toilet cleaning, right? And and so why not let? I mean, obviously, the cool thing about it is, uh, so if we're on the same team, we share the same score. So it's not competitive on our own. It's how well are we delivering for that next link in the chain? And then, you know, if we're doing it well, there's also a process for, uh, for us to go, you know, for, for Mark to go, you know what, that Daniel takes too many shortcuts and that causes errors and you can call me out for it. And I can say, oh, okay, well, I will, you know, I can choose to address that issue or I can, you know, continue to take a hit for how well I serve the team, right? It, yeah. I have to, but it has to be specific. It has to be measurable. It has to be actionable. You can't just say, oh, you know, Daniel doesn't really deal with customers very well. That's not, that's not helpful to me <laughs> yeah. to grow me, right? Yeah. And, and and then the next person says, I have to pick up Daniel's slack. And so now you've got a downward spiral in attitude. Um, and human beings, when they do that, they they ascribe the greatest evil to Daniel that they possibly can. When I have to pick up Daniel's slack, it's not because he didn't know, not because we didn't have the, the conversation, but because he's a lazy, you know what? That's just normal human nature. And that's death for teams, I think. 
Yeah, and a lot of times it's, you know, maybe Daniel isn't there for the team half the time because Daniel's running around the company fixing IT problems, right? And maybe that's a that maybe that's a more critical function for Daniel. Maybe it's more Daniel's calling, but as long as it's just a you know an extra responsibility, maybe the the solution is replace Daniel so that he can become full time IT guy, or find some other way to balance that uh, the need of the team. Right. So, yeah, I mean, even there's lots of right ways to do it. Right. Um, you know, even if it's just Daniel telling the rest of the team, hey, man, I just got called. Can who how can we get the slack picked up for the next two hours while I got to go deal with this fire? Um, a functional team can do that simply. Right. Uh, a dysfunctional team has to report into the manager and the manager has to call and say, do you really need Daniel? And. It's going to be a real heartache. And so there's a lot of uh, inner management calls and, and appeals. And then uh, the manager grudgingly with a frown on his face, because he's just been involved in an interdepartmental wrestling match, tells one of the other remaining people, you got to do this. And of course, um, under more time pressure than there was before, because it took a long time to lose that argument. Yeah. And, and that's, those are some of the types of metrics that we yeah. that we assign to leadership, right? Yeah. How quickly are you actioning the things that we bring to you? And then we also, the team itself has a clearly defined playing space. You know, they like, this is your budget to solve things. These are the rules and regulations that govern you. This is, you know, these are the lines that if you need to cross these lines, you need to loop in, you know, leadership and get, get approval. But within this space, just solve the problem. Yeah. And, and that's just a really freeing. I mean, you know, so many, so many times uh, in corporations, they have these policies where you have to check in where really I know what needs to be done. It's going to take me five minutes, but if it takes my, my leadership, you know, three days to get back to me, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, beginning of this, you said, you know, leadership has to develop a vision and I've seen some visions that aren't particularly customer focused. So how do you, I mean, uh, vision is motherhood and apple pie. I agree. I teach a very specific kind of vision in terms of a customer outcome that we provide. Um, mm -hmm. is, is that kind of where you go or? And yeah, I think uh, one of the things is clarity, right? So, you know, it's easy, you know, Apple, for example, right? They got, they have very you know, and they changed what they did, right? They they started off in the computer business and then they decided they'd want to take over the rest of the world as well. So they they grew what their vision statement was. Um, and you know, it's it's challenging, uh challenging status quo and and you know, um providing that excellent customer experience, right? So that the people have to run out and get the latest and greatest even if they just move the phone jack, right? Or the, yeah. the, the headphone jack, which is now obsolete, right? That's right. Made you, so, go buy, made you go buy a Bluetooth set. That's right. Um, so, yeah, so um, one of the things that I, I would say it depends on the company. I, I mean, obviously building it bigger than it has to be, but yeah, you wanna know who you serve I think that's a key component and how you want to serve them. Uh, those are, those are pretty important parts. And then, you know, really, uh, I, I think that the values are useful for, uh, making sure that it gets delivered in the way that 
you want it to deliver. Yeah. And, and so, you know, and I mean, a lot of people just have like about, you know, here's our five values up on the wall. And if I, unless I, unless I turn to the side and squint out the side of my eyes, I don't know what those values are. Right. But, yeah. but, you know, if, if I can specifically say, you know, when you leave a client on hold for five minutes, you're not, you're not um, living up to our uh, timely, um, you know, timeliness in in helping our clients right and so it, it gives you a way to kind of evaluate the how the team is serving the client um and not just the what they do that serves the, the client and you know so i mean sometimes it you know how many times do you, have you you know gotten the instructions on something and it's like you know you're just stuck you're like i I, I want to, I got everything, everything's complete. I've checked off all the blocks. I just need to know where does this piece fit, right? Where does this go? And how critical is it? You know, is the whole thing going to fall apart if I don't have this pin in there? Uh, so, you know, having that, having the customers, uh, you know, have that confidence that what they're getting from you is, is what they, what they want and need, I think is, is a critical Part of the feedback loop. Yeah. So uh, you're just talking about values and uh, reminded me to have this conversation. Um, values and value are, to me, are very different things. Uh, value is a, what you deliver to your customer, the outcome you deliver to your customer and how badly they want that outcome. Values goes to our ethos and what we hold ourselves to, to while we're doing value um agree disagree no i i i agree uh and but i also think that um values-based organizations will create uh value i think i think if you're doing it the right way yeah uh, because it's not just uh, well i another perfect example is um let's say you've just got a company and we're, we're just making widgets. That's all we do is we make widgets. The, you know, the manager, he counts how many widgets everybody produces and, you know, cracks the whip if people slow down or writes up people for not getting enough widgets passed through. And all the team worries about is, well, I've got to, I've got to count my widgets or I'm going to get in trouble. Right. And that's not, that's a, my that's widget a pretty, rate, yeah. It's an oppressive environment, right? Who, who's going to want to work there? Uh, whereas if you if you have a goal of, hey, as a team, we've got to have this many widgets, and then you allow a little bit of creativity, um, you know, I've come up with ideas uh, in the corporate world where it's like, hey, I can double, triple, quadruple the number of people or, or groups that we serve without losing any quality. And, and, you know, what we do is important. So the more places and the more often we do it, the more value we're giving to the organization. It was an internal team. So it served, it served the it was cybersecurity. So it served, it served the, the protection and safety of the entire organization. Sure. Um, you know, and, you know, my, my boss had his own agenda. And so while that should have been the purview of our team, it wasn't a, it wasn't a high priority for leadership at that time. Yeah. So um, values, when done right, deliver value, but they aren't they aren't always correlated. I mean, you can have great values and miss the mark on 
a customer. I've I've worked in custom in companies where yeah. they had very strong values, but the customer was kind of a almost an interruption, right? Yeah, they're they're important as long as they don't call me at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah they're yeah, they're number one as long as we can as long as they come from downwind, right? Yeah, I think so, um, so I, certain, I guess yeah. I, I I guess I'm just pushing back sure. on the, the the distinction between values and value. They're both needed. If you're Agreed. doing it right, you've got to do both. They're, you can't do either one without the other. Um, but they aren't they aren't uh, they don't go in lockstep, unfortunately. Yeah. And again, I think that's part of, you know, the focus. You should have a value around delivering better. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. and 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 so and again, you know, it's like um, if you're if you're if you're in an economic hard time and you're like, ah, well, we'll just cut R&D. Right? <laughs> well, you, know, you just sold out your future for a, a, a short term struggle. Right. And, yeah. and that's you know, that's not probably the right the right answer, the right solution. Yeah. You know, hard times happen. And sometimes you have to shrink to live, but don't ever tell me that you're shrinking to grow. Right. Yeah. And yeah, so there's a little bit to that too, right? I mean, I think uh, sometimes there's bloat within organizations where you you have people who aren't rights you know right fit people maybe they're in the wrong position or maybe they're not a good fit for your company and so certainly getting rid like before right where where daniel's the slacker that everybody's you know once a week somebody's got to do daniel's task because he's just not there uh you know getting rid of daniel is going to make the team more productive if that becomes a, a daily weekly occurrence right yeah so, i mean i I know that pain too. Yeah, I'm. Um, you reminded me of a book, and I want to recommend this to everybody, including you. Uh, I'm reading. If you've ever heard the book Black Swan by Nassim Nicholas Taleb, uh, he wrote Black Swan after the uh, global financial crisis. One of his other books on a related topic is Skin in the Game, and the idea is so many times because we don't have skin in the game we aren't talking to the customer we don't know about the customer we sit back in our job and make it hard for the people who do right, right. Uh, so he he thinks that um there's 20 or 30 percent bloat in every corporation because there are so few people with actual skin in the game and they're making rules not to serve the customer but just to make the organization easier for them to manage. Yep. Yeah. Or, or they're, or they're, you know, trying to cover their rear ends on things that might happen sometime down and without really thinking, you know, I, I know for four years, I, I filled out a, well, we call it a TPS report or whatever you want to call it. Right. Where, you know, I was checking a box in case audit came knocking one day and yeah, who knows, but there should be some cost analysis in that, right? How how important is this? Uh, you know, if I could have gotten all that information for in a in a you know in a day, if audit came knocking, then why why bother you know spending half an hour every every exercise building one of those things out? Yeah, uh, 
And then the other thing I, in customer-driven leadership is um, the incentive structure is that as the team gets better and better at what they're being measured against, uh, they get uh, a, a, some sort of incentive. So, and the better they do, the more they get. And, you know, that could be, uh, you know, in a for-profit, that could easily be cash or, yep. or but in a not, I mean, it, it works in nonprofits too, right? It could be training opportunities. It can be FaceTime with leadership. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that can incentivize people and one of the guys that that was running uh, the first, the, in fact, the first customer of customer driven leadership, I did a three and a half hour interview with him before I agreed to, to take on this project. And he said, you know, he had 300 employees and he said over a 20 year period, he had five people quit to go work someplace else. That's that's the skin in the game part, right? They, yeah. I mean, that's a family. That's a, you know, it's like I love to go to work. I. You know, he goes, people retire, people, you know, die. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they rarely go work someplace else. And, you know, I think it goes to show you too, that means as the comp as the organization's growing, they're finding right fit positions and growth within the company. Because, you know, if you're stagnant and, you know, there's nothing worse than, you know, oh gosh, we've got to hire a sales guy, you know, or a sales leader. Well, you know, do you really know the talent within your company? And maybe you've already got somebody in the company that could step into that role and grow with the company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really great stuff. We could keep going, couldn't we? Uh, is there anything anything we uh, forgot to talk about that you want to make sure that we, we cover off on? Um, I, I would just, uh, I, I like the idea uh I think one of the things that really comes home is as as you're installing custom driven leadership, it's you know it takes a it takes a strong company with strong teams already, right? It, it's yeah. kind of about creating a championship team out of a good team, you know, where you know everybody knows that the ball boy he's got a critical he's got a critical role too, right? The janitors are important. Everybody is important. Um, and so when you when you start going down that, uh, you know, there's opportunities for everyone to come together and help the company get better uh, and, and having just a periodic check in with people asking them, hey, uh, what ideas do you have? Right. Sometimes, you know, I'll have an idea and I'll throw it out there. And, you know, if leadership steps crushes those ideas a couple of times you know, that, how often, how much more am I going to be making yeah. recommendations, right? It, it kills the creative spirit within the company. So at least have a path to collect those. And sometimes it might be, I have an idea, but I can't figure out how to implement it. So I just won't say anything. Whereas if you're encouraging me, maybe Daniel has a great idea and Mark knows how to implement it. Yep. And so, and, and Daniel, there's a culture where Daniel is welcome to go just chat with Mark about it. There's enough slack time in your day that both of you can have 20 minutes to talk about stuff like that once a week. Yeah. Um, here's the other thing. I mean, this is my hot, hot button. As soon as you get really good at that, your customers start loving you more. And sure. I think they start figuring out that they're willing to pay more. And you become more profitable. Yeah, I, I, I higher, love that. 
yeah, higher prices, you know, every additional dollar, if your costs didn't go up, because usually the time when you when you take a when you take it when an opportunity, you sign a deal, your costs of fulfillment are pretty well locked in. Yeah. You might, you know, save a money here or there, but if you take that exact same deal at a five percent higher price, uh the average Fortune five hundred company, their profits go up by twelve percent. Yeah. That you know, and and you know, from my cyber uh consulting. You know, so cyber exercises come in there and, and shake them up, right? If, if they haven't been hit by a cyber attack, they are woefully ignorant on, in all the challenges they're going to have. And so what you do is you simulate one so that they can experience the pain of it and have to jump through the hoop. So A, they know what they're going to have to deal with. And B, they can, you know, get rid of some of the low hanging fruit that's going to make them more easily compromised. But again, it's an expense or it's an investment, right? Which are you doing? Are you investing to better understand a threat that could kill your entire company? Yeah. Or or is it, oh my gosh, we got to spend money on another cyber exercise. It should be, you should be excited to learn the gaps in in, in the vulnerabilities in your company. Yeah. I, I actually talked to somebody once who said that um, their cyber security solutions for a couple of their clients actually open the door to new customers because you can't sell to Home Depot, for instance, without proving a super robust cybersecurity capability. And if you can't, you don't get the Home Depot account. Simple as that. So uh, sometimes it is a door opener. It is table stakes towards a giant customer. And uh, you know, when, when you have that situation, then cybersecurity is an easy sale. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it, and it's, again, meeting the cu customer where they need, uh, where, where they are, too. There's people who do sell cybersecurity response. And so if nothing goes wrong year after year, I think that customer starts to go, what am I paying for? Right. And so, yeah. you know giving back to them and taking a little bit of that money you spent and, you know, spending some time to exercise their people so they know how to engage your solutions reinforces that value you're providing for them, even when they're not coming under attack. Yeah. All right. How can people get a hold of you, Daniel, to learn more? Uh, yeah. Our, our website is customerdrivenleadership.co. And uh, there, from there, you can find me. Um, we have some assessment tools that are coming online and uh, we, that will help map uh, where, your, where your teams are weak and where they're strong. Uh, and, and I think that's, I think that has value even outside of, of uh, you know, the customer-driven leadership. Because again, I think it's, it's knowing you know, knowing yourself, knowing your company, knowing your clients, that's all really important in, in maintaining that radical value. Cool. All right, Daniel. Well, thanks a lot. I, it's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Great. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on another episode of the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that all business is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, 
You're bound to be paying your dues Cause you'll be singing those old Don't know about you This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.